this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. So here we are with our guest, Judith Glazer. Thank you for being here with us, Judith. It's my pleasure. Absolutely my pleasure. Excellent. Welcome to the show. This month, we are focused on conversational intelligence, and we're very excited to have Judith on our podcast. Our One Thing series features a great leader that provides key insights into our leadership topic for this month. And this month, we're focused on truly connecting and relating with others through conversations, through the language we use in order to be successful. As educators, we know the vital importance of keeping good, positive relationships with everyone involved, particularly to help students succeed. So that's why we thought this would be a fantastic interview and your topic for our listeners. Judith's new, Judith's new book, Conversational Intelligence, How Great Leaders Build Trust and Get Extraordinary Results, is something we believe leaders who desire to thrive amid all the challenges they face must read. Judith, we're very impressed with your work. Um, TJ, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Judith? Sure thing, Joe. Thanks. Uh, our guest this month is Judith Glazer. As Joe said, um, Judith Glazer is an organizational anthropologist. She is one of the most pioneering and innovative change agents, consultants, and executive coaches in the consulting and coaching industry and is the world's leading authority on conversational intelligence we-centric leadership, and neuro-innovation. And she is a best-selling author of seven business books, including her newest bestseller, Conversational Intelligence, How Great Leaders Build Trust and Get Extraordinary Results. Through the application of the neuroscience of we for business challenges, Judith shows CEOs and their teams how to elevate levels of engagement, collaboration, and innovation to positively impact the bottom line. In 2017, Judith was selected by Marshall Goldsmith as one of the top 15 coaches in the world. She has also been ranked as the 10th coaching guru in the world by Global Gurus and has been selected as a 2017 Brava Award winner. From 2016 to 2018, Conversational Intelligence was selected by Inc. Magazine as one of the top five business trends of the year. In 2004, she was awarded Woman of the Year in New York City, and in 2017, the same award by Smart CEO. Since 2006, she's been listed in the top 10 consultants globally in the Excellence Top 100 Consultants and is one of the top 100 thought leaders globally on the subject of leadership. In 2011, Judith was awarded the Drexel University Distinguished Alumni Award, and in 2006, she was inducted into the Temple University Gallery of Success. She is a founding fellow of the Institute of Coaching at McLean Hospital, which is a Harvard Medical School affiliate. She guest speaks at a number of universities nationally and internationally, including appearances in Dubai and China, universalizing conversational intelligence abroad. She has appeared on CBS Morning News with Charlie Rose and Gail King. 
NBC's Today Show, ABC World News, the Fox News Channel, the Martha Stewart Show, and the Family Network, all talking about we-centric leadership and cultural transformation. We're so fortunate to have Judith today on our show for this episode of our One Thing series. So, okay, Judith, let's start with our topic today, which is conversational intelligence. This is something that you're an expert on, have coached many leaders about, the power of conversations that lead to overall organizational success. Leaders understand the power of communication and dialogue, but miscommunication still seems to be a major problem in many organizations for leaders. Your work is designed to help leaders understand the power of language and how it can build or tear down relationships. So, Judith, Let's take a deeper look into conversational intelligence and how leaders can become more effective by understanding and harnessing its power. Our first question for you is, how can leaders utilize the power of conversational intelligence to build powerful connections with others to ultimately reach the goals of the organization? We want to hear anything that you might say about leadership, about the power of language, and how we can maximize communication. Wow, how many hours do we have for this conversation? (laughs) (laughs) It's, um, this is an area that I started to study uh, over a half a century ago, if you can imagine that, when I was a very small child and realized that I grew up in a family that felt different to me than com- not comfortable. And what I realized is that um, when I thought I wanted to have a conversation with my father or my mother, but my father in particular, I noticed that he was very good at telling me things, but not really good at listening. And so from a very young age, I started to, I was very mathematical and scientific, and I started to keep records of patterns of the conversations that I loved, the ones that made me feel really good and connected to that person and and that I could access great wisdom inside of me. And I wanted to find out why with some people I felt smarter and with other people I felt stupider. Does that make sense that those two distinctions show up in every conversation we have? Absolutely. I, I, you just said something I think very profound, Jude, this idea that you're accessing you know, resources within yourself based on what somebody said to you. That's mm-hmm. profound and I, and I 100% agree with that. It's amazing how you can relate to other people and or you know, build up or feel less than, as you said. Tell yeah. us more about that. Yeah. So what I started to realize is that these patterns were significant and they were getting me into understand what's going on inside the brain. I call it making the invisible visible um, because I knew that there were different rules and how I knew it is still, I can't even tell you, except that there are different rules that take place in how the brain processes conversations internally and then how we do it externally. So when we're doing it externally, you have one person talking, the other person listening, But how often have we actually thought about, well, you know, there are other levels going on. While I'm listening, I'm processing in my head what I think the other person said. It's very possible that what I think they said is not what they meant. And that's like a big takeaway um, that has come out of this research, that in our heads, we're processing potentially another reality. Now that even in itself, hearing that, and then what, what comes up for you when you hear, oh my God, there's another reality inside that's different than the reality outside. And so which one do we hang on to? Well, guess what? The brain hangs on to them simultaneously. It's called simultaneity. It's an ability that the brain has to hold our interpretation 
listen to someone else, hold another interpretation, and try to figure out which reality is the reality that we either want to be in or we need to be in in order to get real with people. Does that, all that, again, this is, this is CIQ language, so I'm introducing it to your audience for the first time. Um, however, it is important parts of the framework to understand that what we, what we think someone says is not usually what they mean. And that's why conversational intelligence, and in this work, I started to come up with five conversational essentials that actually enable us to elevate our CIQ in simple and magnificent ways, whether we're educators, whether we're parents, whether we're owners of a business, whether we're in government, these five simple practices, and I'm, I'll share some with you so that you can see how simple they are, actually enable us to connect in a healthy way or healthier ways when we practice them and use them than when we just think we're talking and sharing information and telling somebody something and asking them questions. The asking and telling has much more to it, and there are actually three versions of it that take us from just being very transactional with people to actually being co-creational or transformational, where when you are thinking about what a good conversation feels like, you and the other person connect in a way that activates the best thinking that you have to bring to the planet. But not all conversations do that. Judy, that's amazing. One thing I wanted to follow up with you on is specifically for leaders and trying to move, I imagine we're trying to move past that transactional and get to that co-creational and how important that is for leaders who want to empower those that they lead. And I can imagine that's also something we feel, like that connection Mm -hmm. with others. And we've all been in those you know, for I guess lack of better words, when we have high synergy with someone and we know it's a good conversation, it's productive. Like how do leaders get to that point? Leaders have to understand that there are energy fields that, although they're invisible, connect human beings to each other. So if a leader is talking to a team, for example, or one other individual, but let's say it's a team and you're in the same room together. There's another story which we can talk about if there's time when you're on um, a webinar and when you're not seeing each other in person and seeing each other even on the screen. However, when people are in a room together, energy fields are activated. It's the natural way that the brain works. The brain has what are called mirror neuron capabilities where I can mirror what's going on inside of you. And that's located in the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex and heart connection. Because as we begin to sense somebody else's energy field, our heart is picking it up as well. And the heart has 50 times more nerves going from the heart to the brain. So the heart is picking up how another person's feeling. And then um, all of a sudden you're on the same wavelength unless you want to block them because you feel their energy is not good. So how does that help a leader? A leader's in a room, he wants to do it, he or she wants to create a team meeting. They start out the meeting and one leader, and this is leader A, might say, I brought you all together because we have been so underperforming in the marketplace that we're going to crash and burn and might go out of business. That's leader A, priming the room for a conversation. Leader B, on the other hand, who's enlightened and has conversational intelligence, will get the team together and say, 
wow, it's been a while since we've gotten together to talk about our business. And I was so excited to get all of you in the room together so we can process it and I can bring out your ideas, things that you've been thinking about that you, we have maybe not put into practice yet that could help us expand our business, grow new markets, understand where the challenges are. And so today is our day to have a great conversation. Now, both of them were facing the same problem, a downplay in the market, maybe losing market share, but the first leader was scaring people because they were coming from their lower brain where they were distrusting everything, including their own leadership, and were dumping this problem on their team versus the second leader who is saying, how can I get people excited to work with us to figure out what's going on in the marketplace? Who, who are the new players? How can we compete against them in a more effective way? All those good things that great leaders do. That's a conversationally intelligent leader who's sensitive and knows that that moment when they're together and their energy waves are connecting, if he gives them oxytocin spikes, which is a bonding hormone, it opens up the prefrontal cortex where new ideas live. If he's able to excite people in that way, everybody will start to show up smarter and they'll engage with each other in co-creating conversations. So which leader do you wanna be? What wisdom do you need to have as a leader is what all leaders need to think about. You know, what do I wanna bring out of my people, pull out of my people, even that they didn't know that they had? I love that, Judith, and that speaks so much to the language which you just said about pulling. We're, we're going to shift gears a little bit to the one thing series questions. I wanted to ask you though, and I'm going to switch this first question up a little bit about, um, we typically ask one person or one group you follow, conversational um, intelligence and what you're describing is so complex, but I, I really don't think it's that complicated if we dig in. What is like the, if we wanted to tell our listeners to go to one source, um, whether it's your most recent book or really to dive into this, who should they go to? What's that one thing that for either the knowledge around this topic to really start digging in um, to this? Yeah, absolutely. We, uh, because I don't have one source since my job and the reason why I'm doing conversational intelligence, I, I invented the term to explain something that was invisible behind the scenes. So I've started to build um, great interviews with people and resources and so forth. So the best place to go is conversationalintelligence.com and you will find blogs, you'll find videos with um, some neuroscientists, some other people that are terrific. Um, in fact, when you open it up, those, there'll be a little video that sums it all up for people so they see the big picture, some of the things that we haven't been talking about, they can see in about two and a half, three minutes, um, and then start to pick around on the site and take a look at the videos, especially the interviews. Um, and I think that people will start to see how big and important this is, especially in the world of education and especially for the world of, of leadership. That's wonderful, Judith. Thank you so much. We'll be sure to link back to that conversationalintelligence.com and also the video on our website and when this goes out for our listeners. So thank you for that nugget. Uh, our listeners love to get little pieces of information where they can dig in and learn more so they can lead better and grow faster. The second mm -hmm. question that we have in our series for you is, 
what's one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? And again, that could be about conversational intelligence and being a better uh, connector, but it could be something else that you think is going to help leaders grow as, as you've worked with CEOs and um, a ton of other business executives and the, and the organizations that you've worked with and designed. You know, what's, the, what's the one thing that people should try to do on a, on a more regular basis? I, there, there's one practice that sits up in my mind that is beyond the best, um, and it is listen to connect, not judge or reject. When we started out this interview, I mentioned about how we can be talking to each other, but having a conversation in our own heads about the conversation we're having with someone. So there are multiple conversations that go on at all times, and sometimes the one in our head is judgmental. We can say, oh, that was a stupid question they asked, thinking about one of the employees or a student. Like, I taught that yesterday. How come they didn't remember it? And so you have all of these things popping up that cause the shift in chemistry and, and our disability to really listen to others. So if we practice listening to connect, not judge or reject, then we work on ourselves in quieting the inner voice that's judging what's going on around us and start to really take in and absorb and even pull more from people as we're listening to them, asking questions, which is another um, one of our essentials, asking questions for which we have no answers. So we're doing more pulling rather than pushing in our conversations. And that shifts the chemistry, not only that we have available to connect and harness another person's wisdom and wonderful insights, but it gives them a platform to be open and not be fearful. And when they can access the prefrontal cortex instead of their amygdala and get an amygdala hijacked because they think the leader's going to judge them or the teacher's going to judge them, we shift chemistry. We were given this amazing ability for language because language can actually control and master the, the chemistry that's going on inside of us, but we didn't know it. And my research over 50 years has and since I'm only 39, it's hard to say 50 for me, but um, that for, for, <laughs> forever and ever, um, that, that this, is, this is fascinating to know. So listen to connect, not judge or reject. Do I have a, a, a time to do a quick story about how it changed someone's life? Absolutely. So I got a call after one of my immersions when I was first introducing this work, a woman from Australia, and she said, I listened to your webinar, and she said, I just think you're going to help me with something. I just have a gut instinct that you can help, but nobody has been able to. I said, well, tell me about yourself and tell me about what's going on. Turned out that she had um, uh, an MBA from Harvard. Uh, she was unbelievably brilliant and smart and uh, just a wonderful human being to get to know as we talked over the phone. However, her daughter was diagnosed as autistic. She had to move to a farm with sheep and horses and the child was not in a regular school, but in a special school for semi-autistic kids. And the mother said, I don't think that that's the right diagnosis. How can you help me? And I said, I'd like you to practice three things and then call me back tomorrow. And the three things were listen to connect, ask questions for which you don't have answers, and create the space, more space, for your child to bring forth her thoughts to you. And so she did. And she called me back the next day and said, this was the most amazing conversation I've had with my daughter. I didn't know that she had those kinds of thoughts in her mind, the thoughts that she shared. 
And that was because the mother was asking questions rather than telling her or trying to interpret or guide or whatever things that parents do when they're nervous and afraid and, and want to fix. So I got, I got to be friendly with this woman. She came with her daughter and her husband to New York City. We spent more time together. And then she invited me to come to uh, Australia. And I did go three years later after we had been keeping in touch and she told me the things were going on. She moved from the farm because the daughter was not autistic according to what they were learning as she was actually growing. But by the mother changing the conversational environment and the experience of interacting with this authority figure, she was able to bond with her mother. And all of a sudden, her started to go from not capable to capable, from not smart to genius. And it turns out when I met her daughter, who was in a private school, she was one of the top people in her class academically. She could stand in front of an audience with 50 adults and make them laugh. So all of the things that they wanted her to do started to come about as her mother and father changed the environment, her conversational environment, and gave her the space to share the amazing wisdom that was buckled up inside of her brain, not being able to express itself. So that's an, a, a CIQ story for teachers, leaders, parents, everyone. That's a wonderful story. It's, you know, we do live in a world that so quickly wants to label and, and judge and, and education is guilty of that on many levels. And a lot of time it's done to try to help um, but I love I love the phrase, you know, you're listening to connect and suspend that judgment. And if you truly want to hear and be curious, it's not about judgment. Um, before we get to that, the, our next question, our question three, Judith, do you think some of that resides in fear, like this desire to tell, or is it something else from your research? Oh, well, I think that there's, we are... I'm saying this, and your audience has a lot of educators, so pardon me if I say this, but um, I have studied different types of teaching methodologies because I started there. And it turns out that we, are, we have been taught throughout the thousands of years of what it means to be a leader, a boss, the head of something, um, that if you know something, you've got all that knowledge, tell people because you want to now educate the next generation. On the surface, it sounds great, but in reality, it's not what the brain needs. The brain needs to be exercises, exercised by asking people to think about how they would answer a question, not telling them how you would answer that question. And I think over the thousands of years of what it meant to be an adult and someone who's powerful, because power seemed to be the most important thing in the world, the currency that everybody wants, that we've gotten into this habit of telling and thinking telling is good. So I'm here to put a stake in the ground for the listeners to think about what's the balance of asking questions that we do as educators to get people to think out loud about things that they've never thought about and all of a sudden discover that they have the wisdom inside. What would that do to change education and leadership and parenting? Those are the questions I want to put on the table for people to think about. That's fantastic. Thank you. Our third question, Judith, you've had a, a storied career. You're obviously not slowing down um, in any way, and it's, it's very impressive. What's one thing that you would love to know or be able to do that you don't do already? So from the time I was little, I used to dream about one thing, and it kept going on and on and on. And the one thing I pictured myself trying to fly out of a room 
because I felt that the world gave me too many boxes to live in, uh, a small space. Even for my education, I used to do bad things and sit on the dunce chair because I thought some of the, I, I wanted to fly. I pictured myself flying and putting the ceiling up, up, up until it created a universe instead of a small box. So I'd still like to learn how to fly. So we've heard that from a number of people, Judith. That's awesome. Being able to fly, teleport, the things that all leaders would like to do to make life uh, better, easier, but also to get to that universe where we're not in a box. Mm -hmm. um, the fourth question is, what's one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader? You've grown so much and you've impacted so many other people. What's the one thing that you think um, others might be able to replicate that has led to your growth? Um, I was taught to listen to my head and listen to other people. And I found as I've gotten older, listening to my gut has been one of the most amazing and wonderful things that I've done more of and with more confidence. I was in a car when I was a kid and there were four of us in the car and my gut at the time felt that was an example of listening to my gut. My gut said, we shouldn't be in this lane, get out of this lane. And I saw a yell to the person in the front. I said, get out of the lane. He said, what? I said, please get out of the lane. I was feeling an act accident in its making. And had we not gotten out of that lane, we would have been in the middle of a seven car collision. And so it's listen that our gut has so much instinct and connects to the brain. And there's a vagus nerve that's um, in right below our brain, the main part of our brain, that's telling us, sending us all sorts of signals about what to do and how to do it and why to do it. And we've got to turn that back on again. I know it's primitive, and one of the books that I read um, years ago when I was 16, it was my first big fat book, was The Other Side of the Mind. And um, Norman Cousins was one of the writers. And it looks at 16 different cultures where they cultivated the ability to read your gut, um, transport things, words, sounds, sentences, ideas across a whole culture. We've lost that. That, that sounds primitive, but as an anthropologist, that's something that I think we're about ready to then reinvent and revive in this world of technology. So we don't lose the most important thing about what it means to be human. Thank you, Judith. We're going to move on to our last question. What's yep. the one thing you used to think that you don't think anymore? So I was told many times when I was younger that I was sort of crazy. Uh, I didn't fit in very well. I had so many things that I was thinking about that other people weren't. I used to think about energy at a young age. And in fact, my parents got so worried. At one point, I was talking about enthalpy and entropy. And it wasn't, they wanted me to talk about um, dating and, and, <laughs> and, and, and taking the summers off. You know, it just wasn't the person that I was. And so I thought I was crazy. And my parents sent me to a psychiatrist who said, you know, after doing his Rorschach text, he said, you sound like you're schizophrenic. And if you are, I'm going to have to institutionalize you. And if you're not, and then I just want you to stop talking this way. If you can believe that came from a therapist, a traditional wow. therapist. Right, I know it's a big wow. So I went home and I made it, at that point I was working as a fellow from under Dr. Steg at um, Drexel University and she was so excited about my entropy, entropy and enthalpy conversations. She sent me to Harvard and Penn to take extra courses for my fellowship. I mean, I had two different worlds going on. And so I stopped talking to my parents about the crazy things and I, continued to talk to Dr. Stead, which if I hadn't, we wouldn't have conversational intelligence today. So I guess that's what, um, that, you know, I, I don't think that I'm crazy. I did for a while. <laughs> I don't think that I'm crazy. I think that for whatever reason, I 
was tuned in to this wavelength. And uh, I think, you know, I almost remember the day when I think it happened, but let's just say it did when I was young, 16. And um, I connected to this energy around me, saw it happening, saw leaves and things like that moving together in sync. And I said, there's some rhythm out there in the universe, which we now know is true, that is guiding all of us. And it's universal. It's not just on this planet. It's beyond that. And more people find what that connection is, the bond that we all have with each other, energetic or otherwise, the more we're going to learn how to get along better with each other. So I guess I'm part of that evolution or revolution, whatever we want to call it, called conversational intelligence. That's fantastic. It's a wonderful story. And it really does speak to that quote about people who change the world are the ones who are crazy enough to think that they can and shifting from your parents to the to the academia uh, and in inventing a term and having so much meaning come from that. So uh, we really appreciate the stories that you've told. Um, we always say that leadership might be complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. And you're really making some things simple. We'll dig into the five things that you started about the simple practices that was meaningful. So just last thoughts here, Judith, is there anything else that you would like to add today for our listeners before we conclude? Um, I would like to say that conversational intelligence um, has been out for um, actually a couple of years, but it's, it's gone through some rewrites and its newest version um, 2018 is out now. Rutledge is the new publisher. Um, it's in 75 countries at a minimum and being used all around the world by educators and people in business. The book, I wrote the book as an easy way for people to get into a complex topic. Like you said, I made it simple. And so for people who want to buy the book and use it as a guide, uh, have book groups, read it, um, think about how each chapter applies to you. I did it as a self-study in a way, or asking questions for which you don't have answers. Whatever you want to experiment with, that each chapter guides you through some of those things so that you can take a bite at a time and not get overwhelmed and make it simple because the key is the results that you get as a human being, like my colleague in Australia did with her daughter. Yeah, I mean, imagine turning on and off different genes is what this mother was able to do through conversations. Amazing. I sit here in awe. I didn't create this. I discovered it, that it was happening, and we needed to make it visible. Thank you so much. There you have it, Judith Glaser. Simple strategies for anyone listening who wants to lead better and grow faster. Don't forget to follow our blog on the schoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, video blogs, all on the topic of leadership. This will be housed there for you to listen to in your car ride over again with a friend. Please share. And we hope you enjoyed our One Thing series on how leaders learn to lead better develop powerful communication skills, and become exceptional. Thank you, Judith. You're welcome. My pleasure.